Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Score! Yes, with the cup. Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. I'm Cody Bellinger with the Dodgers. You're listening to Touching Greatness with Ted Sobel. Thank you, Cody, and you are the perfect person to lead us into the second part of our two-part podcast series here on the 68 Dodgers draft, the greatest draft class in the history of Major League Baseball. Cody Bellinger himself, a fourth-round pick by the Dodgers in the 2013 draft, signing for a $700,000 bonus despite a verbal commitment to play ball at the University of Oregon. And what a start to his career. Cody Bellinger, Rookie of the Year last season in his first All-Star game, and he'll do it again this next week. Back-to-back All-Star appearances for Cody Bellinger. After last week speaking with Steve Garvey, Ron Say, and Tommy Pachorik from that great 68 draft, this week it's Bobby Valentine, who if not for some major injuries, may have enjoyed the best career of all these guys. Bobby was certainly the best athlete of that group, and he'll be joining us along with his manager back in the minor leagues, Tommy Lasorda, along with a special guest, a former Dodger who hadn't seen him for a few decades. But first, let's hear from Bobby Valentine, and not only has some great stories about the early days when he joined the Dodgers organization, but also a tribute to his very good friend and draft classmate, Billy Buckner, who passed away some weeks ago. Last but not least, it is great to hear the voice of Bobby Valentine once again. Bobby, you are uh, not last because you were the first pick of all those guys, right, back in 68? Wow. Yeah, the first shall be last. Yeah. (laughs) It it, it happens that way. Indeed, uh, good to be with you. And great to be on a podcast with such royalty. Yes. Let's talk about 1968 and the timing of the group as far as all the drafts were concerned. Did you know any of these guys or about them before uh, you were actually picked by the Dodgers? Oh, absolutely not. Um, There was no way of knowing. You know, there was no Internet. The sporting news came out once a week, and they never covered anyone from high school or college, really. Yeah. no, it was a handshake in the lobby, and uh, let's get to know each other out on the field. Yeah. Garve mentioned it was a bunch of football players and baseball players. How much of that came into play then? He said that uh, Campanus loved toughness. How much is that true? Do you remember it all? Well, yeah, he did love tough, toughness, but he also was a multi-sport athlete, Al Campanis, as I remember, and uh, he liked guys who played more than one sport. And, uh, you know, Garvin Wimpy came in out of the collegian ranks yep. uh, um, from playing DVs at, at the college level. And Buck and I were going to uh, play football in college. As it turned out, uh, we wound up playing flag football for <laughs> the Sigma Chi house at uh, USC and at uh, Arizona State when we transferred over there. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a... Um, you know, multi-sport group of uh, phenomenal athletes. Bob, how do you explain 
that you guys went from USC to Arizona State, yet you're now officially baseball players. I mean, how, how does that work as a pro and a, and a college guy then? Well, you know, actually, what, what that was all about is when we signed, at least when I signed, I'm sure, and when Buck signed too, we, we kind of gave an oath that we would be a full-time student. Uh, because that would keep us out of the draft. At that time, if you were married with kids or crippled or a full-time student, you did not go to Vietnam. Everybody else went, and the Dodgers weren't ready to give you a signing bonus and have you go over into the jungle for a couple years. So uh, you had to enroll on the first day of school. You had to write your own check. You had to keep your grades up and be a full-time student. We wound up going to, to... Arizona State, once we got the wind of the lottery that was going to come up, um, and uh, we we went over there to play in the Arizona Instructional League after, after being in uniform with the Dodgers and being a student uh, at SC in 1969. Buck was... Um, Buck and I were both uh, at SC, and um, we were both students during the day. In nine games, we were in uniform with the extended roster in September. So how close were you? Only home games. Only home games. Oh, okay. Very interesting. How close were you to actually being the next O.J. Simpson, whether you were that great or not? I mean, actually (laughs) suiting up with USC at the time. Well, you know, I signed a letter of intent, and... uh, Ten days later was the draft, so the letter of intent got me the official scholarship uh, to, and it was a football scholarship to go to SC. Uh, you know, John McKay was saying that I was going to replace OJ. Who knows what that was all about? I was a freshman during his senior year uh, at, at SC, so uh, that that might happen if I stayed healthy and stayed fast. Who knows? But um, once the draft. The baseball draft came up, um, and I was selected number one, and Al Kentanis came to my house and offered me $65,000 plus a million dollars worth of good advice. <laughs> um, I signed with the Dodgers, and uh, there went my college scholarship. And as, as we all know, um, you could not be a professional in any sport and play collegiate sports right. until Danny Ainge changed that in the mid-'80s when he decided he wanted, after signing with the Blue Jays and playing Major League Baseball, he wanted to go back and finish his college eligibility at BYU on the hard court, and he did it, and uh, the rules changed that you were only a professional in the sport that you were professional in and could be an amateur in the other sports. So did you actually have a few sit-down chats with McKay and or O.J. Simpson? No, never... Never to sit down with O.J. I met him on my tour uh, when I was, uh, you know, out there touring around. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I did shake hands with him. I went over and watched him and Earl McCullough and, and the uh, uh, 880 uh, world record holding uh, relay team yes. from uh, USC. I got to run uh, with them really? out on the track. Oh, yeah. Yeah, again, they couldn't. They couldn't test you in the sport that you're going to be a uh, scholarship athlete in, but they could do other things. And um, they gave me a pair of shoes and a pair of shorts, and they had me run on, run on the track with the big boys. And I guess they liked what, what they saw. 
So, so they so they claim you as a Trojan. Is that is that fair? Even though it was for like an hour and a half or whatever. Well, you know, I I was never a Trojan athlete. I was a uh, student uh, at USC for a couple of years. As I, as I mentioned, we Buck and I both went there, and um, we we were uh, thinking we were hot shot. Uh, <laughs> Uh, athletes because we signed professionally. We played them out in Utah with Garve and, and Peshorek and Tom Lassert at the helm. Uh, we rushed over to uh, USC to sign our checks to register for a class, and then we went over to our dorms to check in, and we thought we were at the Trojan Hall, the big athletic dorm, and when we checked in at the desk, they said, oh, by the way, <laughs> you've been transferred. And so they transferred us to another dorm, Buck was uh, on campus. I was off campus, and they were the most deplorable uh, dorms that you could ever imagine. I think there were like nine guys in a room. Oh, wow. We checked out as soon as possible and went over and joined the fraternity. That's great. And I bet you yeah. have a few stories about the fraternities. Well, the stories are such that neither of us could spell fraternity. We didn't know what the hell it was. Dato, <laughs> the son of the baseball coach, said, hey, get out of those dorms and go over and join a fraternity. And he pointed us in the direction of 28th Street. We walked down to 28th Street. There's a big house that we saw. We saw a bunch of guys standing out on the uh, <laughs> on the steps. And we went over and said, hey, we're here to join. And they all laughed. Uh, they said, that's not the way it works. And um then when they found out who they were, they were rushing us to uh, join as soon as possible. Oh, I bet. That's great. Yeah. It, it, you probably had a few good parties, though, right? Oh, there was a party. There was a, at least a party. You know, those were the days of toga parties, if you could <laughs> oh, imagine. that's right. The infamous toga parties. Sure, <laughs> we, had, we had guys in our fraternity like Tim Rosovich and, and Mike Battle who Sure. Uh, set the bar for craziness, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we drank out of uh, garbage cans that had a mixture of alcohol that would probably kill a, you know, full-grown gorilla. But we were gulping <laughs> it down as, as often as possible. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> give us, give us a good Buck story from uh, the earliest days uh, when you first met him. Jeez, when I first met him, you know, you know, his first, I'm sure Wimpy told you, his first nickname was uh, Alfalfa. You know, yep. he looked just like Alfalfa. That's from, exactly uh, what he said. <laughs> the, the Young Rascals, I bet he did say that. And, uh, you know, Buck was, uh, you know, the quiet, uh, conservative kid from, from the country of uh, Northern California. And, uh, you know, he, he was as unassuming as he was, but he, what he always wanted to do is... Uh, is uh, be the fastest guy, and and what we would do, he and I, is we raced. Um, I happened to be a little faster than him, but he never took the race as the final race. So we would race when we came out of breakfast at um, at Coco's. We would race when we uh, when we uh, left the fraternity house. We would have a race after uh, having a party uh, out out at somebody's house and we go from telephone pole to telephone pole. We'd, we'd race in sneakers or, or, or no shoes or, or leather shoes. And, um, he was so determined. He was the most determined guy. And I know he's the most, uh, competitive guy that yep. I've ever met. And, um, we, we just, we just did it over and over. And, you know, the the earliest story was that I remember is we were sitting at Casey Stengel's uh, house 
uh, on a recruiting trip party, which must have been very illegal at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, there were all these recruits running around the the backyard of Casey Stengel's, uh, you know, I guess semi mansion, big house, sure. let's call it, and and um, in Glendale. Guy, yeah, in Glendale. And there's a guy named uh, Lloyd Allen who was also being recruited there, who's from Bucks area. Okay. And um, as it turned out, he was the number one draft choice of of the Angels. And Buck really disliked everyone who was the number one draft choice, uh, including <laughs> me for a while, and then we became best friends. Uh, because he was the number two draft choice, uh, you know, and uh, when, when uh, this guy was mentioned as being a really good pitcher at the party, and it was a nighttime party, and we're walking around eating off the eating hot dogs and hamburgers off the grill. Um, someone, now I don't know who it was. It might have been Ron Dato. It might have been Casey. It might have been Lasorda. Being Lasorda says he was there, but it was before we really knew Lasorda, so. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if he was the one who said it, but someone said to me and Buck, "Hey, this guy's a really good pitcher. Do you think you could hit him?" And Buck said, "If you turn the lights on in that tennis court over there, I'll hit him right now." <laughs> and I thought that that was uh, that just uh, epitomized Buck's spirit and and uh, what he thought about himself at all times as an athlete and as a hitter. Absolutely. And Wimpy said, "I got to ask you about a collision." that you had with Buck in the minor leagues that uh, affected an entire season. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, I, I was sure stop his left fielder it was one of those tweeners where I'm running as fast as I could. He's running as fast as he could. Uh, I guess we yelled at the same time, but we never broke stride. And my forehead hit his uh, jawbone, oh. and uh, we were both out on the ground. Difference is, uh, I got up and went and played shortstop, and he got into an ambulance, went to the hospital because he broke his jaw, wow. or I broke his jaw. Yeah. And uh, the amazing thing is, the next day he was back uh, in the lineup. His jaw was wired shut. It was wired shut for three weeks. He never ate solid food for that entire three weeks. He drank everything through a straw. Joe was sort of Tommy's life. Um, uh, made these ridiculous milkshakes with protein and and other things in it, and uh, you know we we got a one of the old kind blenders that you could hear about a mile away yes. when we turned it on. But but Joe Lasorda was uh, a master, and Buck never missed a beat, and just about won the batting title that year. That year he's as tough as tough as nails, and. Um, other than his breath being uh, the worst smelling thing in the history <laughs> in the history of the world, you um, uh, never missed a bit. That's so never funny. Yeah, yeah, he was he was sort of uh, like a hockey mentality kind of guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, he was uh, he was <clears throat> there early. He was there to um, he was there to win. He was there not only to win on the scoreboard, but win every competition of a ball was hit to him. He was diving. If he was, uh, you know, the ball at the outfield, it was a double until someone proved it. It was a single and it was a triple until someone proved it was a double. Um, you know, he, he never met, he never saw a pitch that he didn't like, and he never saw a pitcher that he did like. So he he was an amazing, amazing character. And probably in my mind, the most underappreciated hitter in the last fifty years. Well, by some, not by the pitchers who had to try to get him out. That's I true. Talked to, 
I've talked to dozens of pitchers, uh, some who are in the Hall of Fame, and, um, you know, obviously the pitcher's um, stripe was was always to uh, get a strikeout, and yep. uh, there weren't many guys walking around with stripes on their shoulders because they struck Billy Buck out. Um, he refused to, to go that way, and um, he he could – he could hit every pitch in every spot, whether it was high or low, in or out, spinning or fast, and uh, enjoyed the heck out of uh, uh, out of that competition. Did you ever meet a guy or seen a guy that absolutely was more pissed off than Buck when he got out? I mean, it, it was like the world was coming to an end every time. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, his his rage after <laughs> after an out seemed like it would never end, uh, and it only only would end with his next at-bat, actually. Uh, he he could stay pissed off for as long as anybody I've ever seen in between <laughs> games. If we ever had an off, God, we didn't have any in the minor league. Yeah. So he was at it. If he made the last out, his last time up, he was uh, up and at him uh, the next day. But, um, yeah, he, he would throw things. He was very, very apt at that flinging things. Sometimes he would fling them in the wrong direction. I remember Walt Dawson had to uh, one time had, he had to lift up his feet actually with the bat that came in the dugout uh, and everyone thought that that was really a serious offense. And uh, once I remember Dixie Walker telling, telling me he had to use a different kind of bat and he had to choke up and try to swing down at the ball and after batting practice he came into the uh, clubhouse and somehow he was able to helicopter the bat from one end of the dugout all uh, clubhouse all the way to the other end of the clubhouse where the coach's office was huh. without it hitting the ceiling <laughs> and um, he very eloquently told Dixie what he could do with that bat <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> yeah Buck was something yeah, he was yeah. a, a great competitor a very loyal loyal friend very um, steadfast in his beliefs of what was right and wrong, and um, and he'll definitely be missed. Absolutely, it's it's a tough loss, and I think he's maybe mistaken by a lot of people. But some of it, as as Tommy and I talked about, uh, was was because of his demeanor too, though. Because sometimes you didn't know if he was pissed off at you or himself or what. Because he just <clears throat> in a little tunnel vision at times. Oh, I should say that um, you know. Buck could mumble at people in many different languages. You know, he was uh, he, he he was an amazing kind of guy that um, you know had very few words, but when they were spoken, they were heard. And by the way, how much would history have been changed if he stayed at first base because of the nine years with the great infield together? Would you call that the best infield ever? Uh, three of the guys from the draft. Well, they played together uh, as long as anyone. That's for sure. They uh, they were highly acclaimed, and yeah, Buck um, Buck was deserving of the first base job. The reason that Wes Parker retired is because of Bill Buckner, and yep. uh, the guy who was batting third in 1973 after Wes retired was Bill Buckner. And um, yeah, I think history would have um, would have been a little different. But it had a few different names in it. Burke still would have been a spectacular player, but it wouldn't have been as your first baseman, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and he couldn't be third because he couldn't throw straight. <laughs> yeah, Garden had the cutter before the cutter was uh, <laughs> was known by Mariano. Yeah, every ball he threw uh, 
had great movement on it. Yeah, as a teenager, we used to uh, hang out by first base and just wait for him. You know, we had our gloves just in case he <laughs> threw it to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, 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 it worked out perfectly. I think it was a Von Joshua uh, being injured, getting hit on the wrist, as I remember it, that made Buck leave first base and go to left. He got Garvey in the lineup when they thought they were going to trade him, and uh, the rest is history. But what I don't remember is how did Russell end up being at shortstop because I know they trained him from outfield to shortstop, but you were already a shortstop. Well, I don't remember the timing of that. Well, I came to spring training in, in 70 after getting beamed in the last day of the minor league season and them wondering whether or not I could hit. Uh, going to the instructional league to prove that I still could hit even though I got beamed. And then in the last game of the intramural football season, I had uh, uh, a knee injury that uh, gave me full reconstructed surgery on my knee. So uh, at that time, at the beginning of that 71 season, I was wearing a big bulky Joe Namath uh, design (laughs) knee brace. And, uh, you know, Walt Olson, who favored Bill Russell over everybody, and especially over me because I was Tommy's guy. Right. from the outfield to start taking some ground balls at shortstop and uh, second base. And uh, then before you know it, uh, Moore retired a year and a half later or two years later. And Walt wanted me to be the second baseman and I wanted to be the shortstop. And he said, you can be a shortstop, but it has to be on another team. And um, I went down the highway to the Angels and Billy Russell became the full-time shortstop. And that was sort of the same for Buck, right? I mean, he wanted to be first base, and basically he said, hey, I'd love this organization, but I want to play first base somewhere. Uh, for all uh, intents and purpose, yeah. Buck said, I deserve to be the first baseman. Right. Why am I not the first baseman? I don't know. Can't be I said, well, you can't be, but it's not with this team. And uh, he wound up going to the Cubs. Is it uh, true that uh, he was called in? to talk about this, and, and Billy basically ripped up a, a contract in front of Campanis and he traded him the next day. Is that pretty much the story? Yeah, I know, I'm not sure that uh, they were actually going to have a conversation, uh, but felt that uh, the offer was not um, to his liking, and he tore it up, and he brought it in, and he threw it on Al's uh, desk, and he left it there. They didn't talk. Uh, the next uh, conversation he had, Buck was traded. Wow. And I know Walt Alston and Buck were not exactly best friends either, right? Yeah, well, that is favorites, and Buck and I were not two of them. Neither was Wimpy, as a matter of fact. That's, that's true. That's why it took a guy like Tom Pichark, what, three years at 100 RBIs, hitting 330 home runs in the minor leagues, uh, before he got to the big leagues. So, yeah, yeah, he, you know, if you were a Tommy guy, you weren't a Walt guy, and uh, Garb was really good to um, play the middle ground, and um, Davey Lopes was too. Sure. You know, Davey, Davey was just there to play. They were both older guys and uh, a little more mature and, and didn't quite uh, drink the uh, Tommy Kool-Aid. So, um, you know, history... Uh, has an interesting way of viewing all those things. Absolutely. We're speaking with Bobby Valentine here on Touching Greatness. And, Bob, just looking back on the 68 class, is it almost, even though you lived it, almost amazing when you look at there are about 15 guys that ended up with some major league experience? 
Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. I don't know how to compare it to others, but uh, yeah, they all came in. We weren't all able to go to Ogden during that draft, so some went. Some of the older guys went to A ball and uh, you know caught up in AAA and then got to the big leagues. Uh, you know, one of the really cool guys out of that draft is a guy from Stanford University named Sandy Van. Sure. Uh, who I just talked to last week uh, after Buck's oh, passing, and sure. um, Sandy's doing great. And he had a fastball to uh, to end all fastballs. He just, um, you know, never corralled it and didn't have the curveball to go with it. But yeah, it was a very, very, very talented draft. I don't, I don't know how the Dodgers did it. Yeah, it, uh, way before its time, and actually never since either. I remember Sandy Vance because they were saying this guy throws so hard he might be the next Sandy on the team. That's it. That's he was going to be the right-handed Sandy. Yeah, yep. it, was a, it was it was a lot to live up to because Sandy was just leaving, and we were coming in. So um, yeah, that that wasn't a moniker or, or a label you really wanted to run around with. It was tough to live up to. Absolutely, Bob. Talk about uh, Tommy Lasorda, what he meant to you, and uh, I know that uh, you've worn number two throughout the years when it, when you had the opportunity, same as Tom, and uh, more than a father figure, right? Oh yeah, he's a best friend. He was uh, everything. He he was a mentor and a father figure and a coach and a manager and uh, you know someone who is so much fun to be with. Um, and whether it was in uniform or out of uniform, that um, anybody who had the opportunity uh, understands that they were, they were truly blessed. And I was you know blessed a little more than everybody else. First time you met Tommy, though, was it sort of like, uh, is this guy for real or what? <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, the first time I met him, I was on that recruiting trip uh, at SC. I was watching the baseball game because they wanted to talk to Steve Soggy, who was, a, who was the two-sport player, and yep. uh, he was scouting the, the team and gave me a transistor radio with Dodgers on the front of it during that game. Oh, really? When I met him, yeah, when I met him, I like, yeah. Uh, at the airport in Salt Lake City, flying in to play for Ogden, Utah, uh, he came over and shook my hand, and I said, uh, you know, I think I've met you before. He says, yeah, I'm the guy who gave you the transistor radio. And we went out to dinner that night, and that was the beginning of a of a 50-year uh, lo- love fest. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Bob, uh, I, I go back with you, uh, helped you move into one of your first houses there in the Palisades. And, and I'm just thinking, in those days, how could you afford the money to buy a house then in that area? I mean, that did you? Well, I wish I did. No, I was only renting. Actually. Oh, you're only renting. Only... Okay. That... <laughs> but I don't know how the hell I afforded to rent it. I don't know how I found it. Uh, you know, I mean, I was. I was 21 years old. I was just trying to figure stuff out in California sure. and Southern California. wasn't an easy thing to figure out. And I think about uh, you waiting and always being present at all those Dodger games and, you know, the you know, getting the broken bat or the autograph or whatever it was that uh, we might carry out to you. You could have been the Brandon Steiner of Southern California if you wanted to sell any of that memorabilia. You decided to go into the broadcasting business instead. That's funny. Well, I, yeah. not exactly Brandon Steiner, but I do have a few things. Uh, I, I got a bat from Tommy Haller that he gave me in 69. It'll be, the story's in my book. I think you're going to laugh your ass off. When, I, I'll send you a copy of the book when, when it's out later Tommy in the year. Tommy Haller, yep. one of the very good guys of the game of baseball. Oh, great good guy. Good guy. What a great guy. Absolutely. That's what yeah. my story was. Uh, I Brother stuck... of Bill Haller, the, uh, yes. the you know, infamous umpire uh, for, for 
four decades. Yeah, Tommy last, was terrific. Last Tommy, way too soon as, as well. Oh, yeah. So you got no World Series rings out of your career, uh, but you're on the best minor league team ever. And just ask Garv, because he'll tell you, yes, he's, he loves to boast about it. Uh, the greatest draft class ever, and you have the greatest sports bar ever. What is it, what's going on with your sports bar? Tell the people on the West Coast about it. Yeah, 40 years later, it's still going. It's uh, you know, bigger and better. It's kind of uh, what it was on steroids. Now it's a real big place with a couple hundred TVs and all that good stuff. Wow. But, uh, yeah, that was good to me. A good place for me to show off all my memorabilia, and uh, I did for years. And um, I think a lot of people uh, in- enjoyed it. That's for sure. You used to cook there a little bit, and uh, you got to also talk about your sandwich. Nobody invents a sandwich except for Bobby Valentine. Uh, I guess you know the Wall Street Journal did a research and decided that the wrap was created in my my restaurant, and I was the one to do it. I was out in the Chesapeake, the toaster broke, and I needed to serve a club sandwich. I had a tortilla laying around, and I wrapped up that club sandwich in the tortilla and served it as a club mix and um, club Mexican style, and uh, the rest is history as far as wraps are concerned. Yeah, I don't understand. I walk into a subway and I ask for a Bobby V, and they don't know what I'm talking about. It's not fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I never quite uh, acclaimed that. You know, that that's just one of those things. Just think, though, you could have copyrighted the damn thing. That would have been unbelievable. I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> I know. it. Yeah. I don't know who Alfredo was for the Alfredo sauce, but I'm sure he's not getting any ridiculous when I order it. Good old Alfredo. He's probably uh, long gone in Italy mm-hmm. somewhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and now you have off track betting at your bar. Is that correct? Right, part of uh, part of the place has off-track betting where you could, uh, you know, bet on the paramutual uh, events around around the world. That's horse racing and dog racing and high line. But wow. uh, sports betting is around the corner, and uh, hopefully we'll have that too. That's wonderful. And uh, what's going on with the horses there? Have you followed that at all? What's happening at Santa Anita and? With all the deaths and how with that's affected? With all the deaths. You know, I, I follow it from afar only because uh, it's really not my business. I'm just, uh, sure. I, I licensed my business to this OTB, OTB venture. So, uh, no, I haven't followed it that well, but um, I'd like to have all the horses be healthy. I think they're wonderful specimens. Absolutely. And you're a film producer, too? Well, I'm an executive producer. I have a film company, and as a matter of fact, after doing documentaries for the last eight years, we're going to do our first feature-length movie uh, in conjunction with Skydance Productions out there in Southern California, which is uh, uh, Donald Ellison, Larry Ellison's son's company. And oh, okay. So we're going to do a, a nice um, uh, greatest beer run. Greatest beer run ever will be the name of it, and it's a it's a wonderful story about four guys during the Vietnam uh, War era. And um, right now we have Peter Farrelly, who's the Oscar winner uh, writer and, and producer of the Green Book, uh, contracted. Right. He's he's writing our, our screenplay as we speak, and uh, can't find the, can't wait to find the right jungle to. Film some Vietnam films. In. Wow, that that sounds fascinating. It almost had the four guys. It's not really about uh, Buckner, Valentine, Say, and Wimpy, or is it? <laughs> it's amazing. No, we all missed the Vietnam uh, 
Uh, actually, Garrett got into the National Guard. Yes. If he was four at and Buck and I were full-time students. All right. I was just thinking, though, all four of you drank together, so maybe it's a little of that in you guys in this movie. I'd say Whippy and I did the drinking for the four of us, and uh, the <laughs> other two guys were teetotalers. Oh, I got yeah. it. Totally. <laughs> Bobby, it's so great to reminisce with you. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, following your career, and I only have one thought of you. Every time I think of Bobby Valentine, you're in the back of the dugout, and there you are with the glasses and the mustache. It's the greatest picture of all time. Well, I guess it's a memory. It uh, allows me to be recognized by people who are under 35 years old, and uh, I guess I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, congrats on a fantastic career, and as Wimpy says, everything you've touched since has turned to gold, and uh, whatever you're doing, just keep on doing it. And you too. Great, great interview. Great being with you. We have to catch up sometime and uh, share a few more memories. Thanks Absolutely. Bob, we'll talk again. Thanks, Bob. Take care. What a kick to talk to Bob for the first time in many years and reminisce about the old days, which of course included his now 91-year-old close friend and former minor league manager, Tommy Lasorda, who I bumped into at the Dodger alumni game recently. And while speaking to Tom about the old days, including the recent passing of Bill Buckner, another old friend and former Dodgers starter Ishmael Valdez stopped by when he saw Tommy for the first time in decades. And you'll hear that fun interaction as well. Joining us on our special Alumni Day edition of Touching Greatness here at Dodger Stadium is Tommy Lasorda. Tommy, can I get a thought from you on, yeah. on Billy Buckner and what well, he meant know, to this organization? You know, you know what upsets me? Yeah. Is this guy played for me. This guy was he was in my heart. He was a tremendous player and uh, I loved him like a son. That's all I can say about him. Nineteen sixty eight, the most unbelievable draft ever. Wasn't it? Look at him. <laughs> Ismail Valdez. Come on over here, Ismail, say hello. It's Ishmael Valdez saying hello to Tommy Lasorda. Yes, my first manager in the big leagues. How's the last time you saw him? Oh my goodness. We haven't seen each other. In How a many long years? Time. It's a long time. Where do you live? I live in uh, South Texas right now, Tommy. Is that right? Yes. Well, I never get to South Texas. Well, <laughs> that makes two of us. You have to come and see me. I will come to see you every time you ask me to. Uh, good, good, good. good to see you. My first Great manager. Great to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Tommy. Good to see you. All the guys we played with and played against, they're all here today. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, of course. Very nice. He was a manager's <laughs> delight. This is my man. Pretty good pitcher, too, huh? He put that goddamn uniform on. He was bad. <laughs> Tommy, unas palabras en español, Tommy. Sí. Come on up. Como que... Yo soy una persona que tiene mucho amor por los jugadores que played for la Florida. Claro. I need a traductor here. Well, that's, he's very proud with all the players that play under his management. Oh, that's nice. That's, that's, that's great. And, I, and 20, he's my, my manager. About 23 years. Really? That's all, huh? <laughs> I like you, Tommy. I love you, Tommy. I'm so glad to see you. God <laughs> almighty. I'm going to be... 
I'm gonna be practicing. I'm about, I'm about that. You know what I remember, remember more than anything in Chicago. Remember we got you scared to death, man. You you were actually so scared. I told him I want get some paint and go paint that horse. Yes, that's up there. Yes. And, they, 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 and you they, brought two FBI's. Yeah. You brought two FBI's, and they, it was amazing the way you received me. And they asked me who did it, and, and, it told, and Tommy came. Tommy came here, uh, Rocket. This is your first date in business. This is your first date in the, in the big leagues. And uh, please let us let us know who took you to play to pin that horse. And I say nothing. And Henry Rodriguez was next to us. I said, Henry, I don't know anything. Henry, 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 tell him. <laughs> and well, I want to ask you again because that's the only way I can help you. Remember, the Tommy? Poli yeah, the police. Yes. The police told me. Tommy said, I had more fun in watching you getting those guys up on that damn place. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. They got to paint the balls. Yes. That's right. I'm blue. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Unbelievable. I'm sorry to No, that's no, that's good. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm gonna be what here. are you doing these days? Nah, I'm doing. I'm, I'm traveling. I'm coaching for Mexico. I'm working in ESPN also. Oh, good and for I'm an analyst uh, for the big league clubs and uh, baseball and, and ESPN. But I also coaching and training and helping the young kids in Mexico. Tom. Good. Well, that's good. Yes. It's good that you're helping. Always giving them. back something that our baseball gave it to me. That's, that's right. That's the thing. Well, you were a hell of a pitcher to begin with. Number two, you you were my kind of pitcher. I loved you very much, not only because thank you, pitcher, because of your person. We had so many guys that I managed that are here today, and they're great guys, and, and they've given me so much memories that. Uh, Nobody can ever tap it like I got it. Okay. These guys were good. They, they came. They couldn't speak a word of English. That's <laughs> right. But you speak and, uh, Spanish for us. <laughs> hey, Ishmael was like your other bulldog, though, wasn't he? Sort of a bulldog type. He, he pitched. He exactly. pitched, boy. He pitched hard. He, he's good for a team. He, he was, we had a good club. Well, actually, we have a great manager. We had a great attitude. We had the, one of the best coaches. Well, we we have a we have a great chemistry. Right. And he was the one leading us in that chemistry. Yeah. Tommy, I'll let you work. Okay, buddy. All right. Thank you. Good so to much. see you. Goodness. Great. You, I don't wonder where the hell you've been hiding. Well, <laughs> you got, you got my number, Tommy. <laughs> I don't have your number. Well, I will give you mine before we leave. Where do you live in Mexico? South Texas. Just crossing the border from Mexico. In McAllen, Texas. Oh, okay. Yes, McAllen, Texas. Just crossing the border from Mexico. Well, maybe I'll come there someday and see you. Every time you want to come home, this is my home, it's your home, Tommy. All right? That's well, beautiful. I'm going to surprise you. you. I'll stop standing, Tommy. All right. See Take you. care, man. Good. Okay. Oh, me, Tommy. <laughs> he looks good, doesn't he? He looks really good. Tommy, I just want to ask you again about the 68 class, Ron Say, Bill Buckner, Tom Pachorek, Bobby Valentine, Davey Lopes. It's unbelievable. Garvey. They're great, boy. You know, when you can't wait till you get to the ballpark, that, that's indicative that how great it was. I really enjoyed it. It made, made a lot of guys play the big legs. 
That's one of the big things I did. And you were the beneficiary of those guys. Yeah. Like in Spokane, right? And that must have been an incredible minor league team. In Albuquerque, yep. yeah. How good were your minor league teams thinking, did you know all these guys were definitely going to be major league ready oh, yeah. soon? Yeah, a lot of them I, I put down. Yeah. In my reports. Last thing about Billy Buckner. What are your, your thoughts on Billy He's as like a, a person? He was like a son to me. I loved him so much, just as I love my family. He is a great, great guy, great competitor, and he wanted to beat you real bad. So young, too, huh? It's, just, yeah. it's, it's great to see you, Tommy. Enjoy Thank the day. You. Eh? Thank you very much. All right. Our thanks to Tom Lasorda, Bobby Valentine, and, of course, Ishmael Valdez for dropping by on this second half of a two-part series the 1968 Dodgers draft, the greatest in the history of big league baseball. Hope you enjoyed all of the chatter from some of the most popular names in Dodger lore. I am still Ted Sobel. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week on Touching Greatness. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.